Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. All right. Well, once again, it is great to have everyone here this morning. We're privileged to have you as a part of Calvary Chapel Northeast. And so as we uh, continue to go to the Word here, what a great opportunity we have on this Father's Day. You know, it is moments like these that give us a picture of what God has intended. We can start to see a glimpse, just even a glimpse, of the heart of our Father, uh, His love towards us, His desire for us, as we read that the fact that His, His thoughts are precious towards us. I mentioned this idea of Abba, Father. We see this word specifically used when Jesus prays in the garden. And even when we consider how Jesus teaches us to pray, when he says, pray in this manner, not, not exactly this way, but pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, there is this reminder to us to, to look to God, though yes, he is above all things, though yes, he is creator, though yes, judgment does come from the throne, that we can look to him as Father, as Dad. To consider him that way, that's a relationship I know that many people long for today. And just like on Mother's Day, while I recognize that both are days of celebration, that I also understand that it's often something that's taken for granted. We take for granted sometimes the hurt, the pain, and the emotion that comes with such days. Whether those who have lost, those who never had, these wounds are not to be glossed over with the idea of a greeting card and a necktie. Though oftentimes that's what comes with the celebration of Father's Day and there's nothing wrong with that, I understand that this morning there's a range of emotions that may exist here. But the beauty of it is, is that we don't need to take these days of celebration and make them gloom and doom. We don't need to dwell on the hurt that may exist, but rather focus our attention to the one true good father. And allow then the joy that comes from that to run over into the areas of our lives that may be filled with pain. To focus our attention on the good Father. And while it isn't always possible to seek reconciliation or find healing with an earthly father, you can find grace and healing in your good, good Father. God the Father. And furthermore, as we look to Jesus Christ, the the power of the Spirit and the Holy Word of God, we can find then the equipping that we need to do just that, to become the men and women of God that we were created to be. And that's the emphasis I want to have in in the time that we have left here this morning. You know, much of the work that I do outside of Calvary Chapel Northeast, though it very much connects, and there's some here that are a part of that very same work, It's related to empowering individuals to choose abundant life in Christ, that they can break the bonds that exist in their lives and, and Lord willing, break the negative cycle that has existed in their families for many years, for generations, that they could become the parent that God desires them to be. And for us today, I I want us to look at an individual that we were introduced to briefly last week in Acts chapter 6, Look at just a portion of the account that we have in their life and look at the character that's described to us and recognize the way that they were used by God and see that we too can be used in such a way. 
And this is for all of us, but I would say for the men here today on this Father's Day, for the men that are fathers, the men that will be fathers, the men that may not be fathers biologically, but play that role in someone's life, that they are a role model, they are an example, they are somebody who who someone in their lives looks to them in that way or could, that we are called to be mighty men of God. And that now more than ever before in our culture, we need men who will choose that path who will say, yes, I will respond to that call. I'm reminded of Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, when we read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And there is a day yet coming, And we're told that for the nation of Israel, Elijah is mentioned here because he was one who had brought such words before to the nation. He is the one who had brought such hope before to the nation. And there is a day once that is still yet coming where the heart, absolutely, of the nation of Israel, but even our generation, even in our country, the hearts of children can be turned back towards, yes, their earthly fathers, there can be healing, there can be restoration. And may our hearts be once again turned to our Father in heaven. We read earlier in that particular chapter, chapter 4, that the son of righteousness has already come. In the book it says son, S-U-N, and, and, and we translate it as the son, S-O-N, the son of righteousness. That he's already come and that through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, we have the opportunity to be the men and women that God has called us to be. And men, to be fathers that can turn the hearts of our children toward God the Father. To establish a godly heritage that that opportunity still rests before each and every one of us here today, no matter where you are in your walk. But it's tough. We recognize that. I understand that it's difficult, that we live in perilous times. There are wicked men. So what must we do in light of that? And so, as I mentioned, I want to first return to our study in Acts from last week, and we'll quickly review from verse 1 moving forward. But before we go any further, if you would just agree with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon our time of study here this morning. As we've turned to your word, Lord, and we've been blessed already this morning by what you've had for us here, Lord, we look to your word to gain understanding, to gain wisdom, and in particular today to learn more of, yes, one individual by the name of Stephen who had such an incredible character that's demonstrated to us in the word. Yet an average man by all accounts, but one who was used in a mighty way by you. And so, Lord, it should be hope to us today that we too can be used in such a way that we too can be full of faith and power that through the power of your word and our understanding of it and the Holy Spirit, Lord, you can do that work within us. And that would be my prayer for each and every one of us here today, myself included, that on this day where we celebrate fathers, that we would strive to understand the example that you have for us, Lord, that we could demonstrate even a portion of that in our own lives to bring you glory. So, Father, do that work here today. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us understanding of your word and help us to apply it to our lives, Lord, that we could leave here transformed and changed, Lord, in some small way. And Father, we ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. And so in chapter 6, at the very beginning, we'll move through some of these verses fairly quickly as we covered them last week. We read in verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so there was within the church a murmuring, as some of your translations may read, that arose within the church. And it was related in this case to the widows. We had two different groups of widows that existed at this time in this particular place, and it was the Hellenists, or the Greek Jews, as it were, and then the Hebrews, which could also be interpreted as the traditional ones. And they had perceived that favoritism existed between the two groups, and there was unrest over that. There was the perception that some of the widows were getting preferential treatment, getting more of the daily distribution perhaps than the others. And the issue itself was of less consequence than was the solution. What it was that that the Spirit led the apostles to do about the issue at hand. As they recognized that with growth, with growth within the church came additional needs, came additional responsibilities, and they had to do something that would ensure that the needs of the body were met and met fairly. And while we don't see the term directly used, it was the catalyst really for the raising up of what we know as deacons within the church, or literally servants, servants within the church, servants who could tend to the various needs of the body and allow those who were called to teach to focus on that particular work. I think this morning as we were in intercessory prayer, it was such a great picture of the fact that I was in there with several individuals who, who faithfully come together in intercessory prayer each week. They're prayer warriors. And I was mindful somewhat of the activity that was happening behind me. The various individuals, some of which were deacons and elders who were walking by, back and forth. And it was apparent to me that they were busy. They were busy about the needs of the church. They knew that there were specific things that needed to be happening in that moment. And part of me could think, oh, well, what's going on? Do I need to be a part of that? And the Lord spoke to me and said, give yourself to this time of prayer. And that's what we see happen here with the apostles in particular, is they say, it doesn't make sense for us to go and do these tasks right now. We need to commit ourselves to the teaching of the word and to prayer. We need to raise up other individuals who can meet the various needs so that ministry can function effectively. And it was such a great picture. And so we see these deacons raised up, these servants, for the work that needs to take place. And we read in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the apostles communicated that this is what we need to give ourselves to because the reality is, is there is a very important component within the church. It takes precedent, it takes priority over everything else, and that is the teaching of the word of God. It's very easy for us to get distracted from that within the church today. Many churches have become distracted with the multitude of various programs and activities and abandoned the teaching of the Word of God. And God forbid that that would be something that happens within our church and our fellowship here. In the saying, it says in verse 5, pleased the whole multitude. And so what a wonderful thing here that the church as a whole was in agreement about this, that it pleased them, that they all felt that yes, this is the proper solution, that we want to make sure there's a commitment to the teaching of the Word, and so we need to raise up other individuals to help and to support. And so we have a list of the individuals that they chose, that they raised up from the body of believers, and they set them before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them. And in verse 7, we read, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And this was then the crux of the message last week, not an exhortation to 
feel guilty if you're not busy about the church doing various things, but rather to understand and to commit to faithfully serving in the area that God places you. Not because you're just supposed to serve, though we could make an argument for that, but rather that when everyone is faithfully serving, we can be confident that the Word of God will go forth. That the church, the ministry, as it were, will be healthy. Everyone doing what they were called to do and doing so in order. And doing it as unto the Lord and not unto man. They recognized that as the church was growing, they needed more servants to help the ministry function. And it's a wonderful reminder to us as we see this here that there is no role that is superior than another in the church. But rather all are of critical importance and value to the furtherance of the gospel. And I've got to tell you, to see the number of people here yesterday serving at the workday and and helping in the various parts of the building, it's an encouragement. It's a blessing. You are a part of ensuring that the Word of God goes forth in our community, that we make disciples of Christ. And this man, Stephen, is a great example to us of the very, of the very principle that we see here, that this, this man who was rightly identified for his character and reputation, yet we have no real notable credentials that we're made aware of as it relates to Stephen. Yet he was used in a powerful way. As we read in verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith, and power did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was used by God because he was full of faith and power. Note that he had not earlier been identified as a disciple or an apostle. Stephen is one chosen by the people to serve, to wait on tables. Now, you know, waiting on tables at this particular time was more than what it may sound like or be described as. There was an administrative component to it. There were Uh, certain responsibilities that came along with it, perhaps even some teaching as he ministered to individuals one-on-one through the course of fulfilling those duties. But the, the fact remains here, and the emphasis should be that, you know, if there were a hierarchy that existed within the church at this particular time, he wouldn't have been at the top of it. He wouldn't have been structured at the top of the organizational chart. Yet because he was full of faith, in power. He did amazing things. God did amazing things through him. He was impactful. Concept of being full of faith and power, this word here, the word full in the Greek is translated completely full, covered, thoroughly permeated. He was saturated by the Spirit. This was a man who was thoroughly equipped to every good work. And you see, God wants us all God wants to use us all in that same way. I firmly believe that. We read on that in verse 9, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And in verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. These were educated individuals. These were individuals who had the credentials who came against him, and they couldn't dispute The wisdom, they couldn't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. It no doubt drove them nuts. They had to have hated it. Here it was, just another Christian. I mean, they probably saw him in the same light that they saw Peter and the others, these fishermen that have no education to speak of, and yet they speak with power and they speak with boldness. What is it with these guys? This had to have frustrated them. And 
What they then do in verse 11, we read, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. You see, they leveled against him many of the same false accusations that they did with Jesus. And you know, you're in a good place when you're being accused of the things that Jesus did. You can rejoice in that. Even if it may not feel great at the time, you can delight in, just as we had seen the apostles do in the the previous chapter, to rejoice that they were counted worthy, to suffer the same persecution. And here's Stephen, this one who was raised up, who we know very little about, and he's about to, and we won't go through this portion today, he's about to give the longest sermon that we have in the New Testament. Who is he? You see, this is a powerful man, but there's nothing about him. There's nothing about what he brought to the table, what he was supposed to do, what he tried to accomplish, what he was able to offer. There was nothing spectacular about him in and of himself other than we hear that he was full of faith and power. He allowed the Holy Spirit to have control, complete control in his life. And God uses him in an amazing way. And so why would they make these accusations against him? It's really for the same reason that we see them act out towards Jesus during this time, but it's really no different today that people want to deny the truth rather than to accept that there is a God and that he sent his son for us. That, because that, along with that comes a certain level of accountability that people don't want. And Stephen, he was clearly teaching that Jesus was greater than Moses, that Jesus was God, that Jesus was greater than the temple, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And that Jesus was greater than their religious customs and their traditions. That Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is God. And still today, this same thing exists out there where we have many people who will fairly, somewhat boldly proclaim a belief in God. But to take that a step further and to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? No. They're not going to go there. You see, it's still a name that brings offense. It's still a name that causes people to pause. It's still a name that is filled with power that many people want to deny. They say they believe in God, but it ends there. To go to a step further to say that you must believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that you need to recognize that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, that Jesus is in fact the only way, not one of multiple different ways. It's still a message that's not well received today. But Stephen boldly proclaimed it. And we read in verse 15, And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. You see, it wasn't that Stephen was a baby-faced little kid, rosy cheeks. He wasn't a picture of an angel that we may see on some paintings in a museum. You likely may think a little bit about Moses in this situation. In Exodus 34, 29, it reads, And now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And as we continue on, we'll see that Moses wears the veil, and that he regularly covers his face with the veil. But the thing is about it, what happened with Moses is because of his encounter with God, his face shone as something very different, and it radiated. And just like with Stephen here, this was a face that conveyed 
perfect peace. Peace which surpasses all understanding. Do you understand that? When we say that peace which surpasses all understanding is, is essentially peace that doesn't make sense. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We see an individual in a certain situation in their lives, and we think to ourselves, I would be panicked. I would be angry. I would be frustrated. I would be any number of different emotions, yet they seem so calm. They seem at peace. They seem as if everything is okay. That is the peace which surpasses all understanding. And here Stephen, so full of faith and power, is standing before these men who are accusing him, recognizing no doubt that this is probably going to end badly, depending on how you look at the outcome. We'll see later on that Stephen is stoned. Stephen becomes a martyr. And even in that experience, he's still at peace, looking to the heavens, focusing on the Father. It's a face of one who completely trusted in God and had surrendered his life into his hands. Stephen was a faithful man of God, and it showed in nearly every way. Stephen, a man full of faith and power, whose testimony couldn't be resisted, whose face shone the peace of God. Stephen, one appointed to serve within the church, not in any special capacity, not with any specific title, but rather one who was faithful to, to do whatever it was that was needed and was chosen because of his reputation, because people had seen the evidence of God working in his life. We need more Stephens today, and we can be like this man. I'd ask you, if you would, to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I wasn't going to attempt to tackle Stephen's sermon in what would be a shorter time frame here this morning. And as I was studying and as I was considering and praying over where the Lord would have us and, and thinking of just the events of the day and Father's Day and the dedication and, and this man, Stephen, the Lord continued to press upon my heart what it is that we see within a true man of God. And of course, we have this description of Stephen. It said earlier, as they were to consider who they'd raise up, it said, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. And so we had there initially a description of what needed to be in place in Stephen's life, that he was to be a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. We discussed that. He was a man who was full of faith and power. He was saturated with it and wisdom. But we have so much more. I mean, even within 1 Timothy, we have descriptions of deacons. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we also have an account of the man of God and the word of God. And we read, starting at the beginning of the chapter, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And while Paul references here perilous times, dangerous, dangerous times, treacherous times, what he then describes is less the times and more so the people, the dangerous, treacherous people. We are in the last days. We are in that time. We know that we are now living in the last days. In fact, we're closer to the end than we were yesterday. Amen. Praise God that we should be excited about that. But we can also be confident and know that as we progress, which is a relative term, we will see things continue to unfold that are perilous in nature. But we can look forward to his glorious return, to the rapture of the church and to the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. But these are the last days. And Paul says in verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, 
unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And I'll pause there. You see, as I read through this, at least I think to myself, man, Paul, how'd you nail that so well? The inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he even saw the beginnings of this, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. But this is what will come. This is what is coming. And so as Paul references that in the last days there will be perilous times, he starts to describe the people that exist within that time. And the reality is that we have to understand is that outside of these walls, and sometimes within, sometimes in our own behavior, we demonstrate these things. But as we think about the world at large, we know that these are the people that are out there right now. These are the things that are happening. So many of these characteristics are rooted in self, self-love, this idea of self-control, which isn't a bad thing, but the way in which it's pursued, the way in which it's understood is. We live in a culture that is all about self. I was at a youth conference the week before last, and it was a youth summit. And, you know, it was so interesting and disappointing. You see, because God was talked about. God was talked about a lot, but never Jesus Christ. And everyone on the panel that day that was talking to the youth in our community was talking about self. I believe the comment that I made at that particular moment, which was through text, because there was a group of us in the row. So yes, I was at this thing texting, okay? I was just like all the other teenagers there, by the way. Everybody had their head down. But I had to get out the fact that if I hear self one more time, I'm going to throw up. It was about self-love, self-respect. Find yourself. Pursue yourself. Everything was about self. You see, we don't need to be encouraged to love ourselves. That comes very naturally. Now, yes, have some distorted that? We see distorted views of that today, right? Where, where self-harm starts to happen. But that's all part of the same twisted fleshly logic. We naturally have self-love. And again, we don't need to be taught to hate ourselves either. I'm not advocating for that. But Paul said in Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. We must see ourselves as we really are, both the bad, what we are in the flesh, and and then too, the glory that we have in Jesus Christ. But we need to be willing to say, I am nothing, to find that place of absolute surrender to where we can truly just submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our world says, find yourself, but our faith says, deny yourself. And Paul commands us then, at the end of that verse, from such people, turn away. Turn away. And so that would be the first thing, as we start to make our way to the end of this passage, that would be the first of three things that I want us to understand this morning. That yes, for each and every one of us here, we can take the exhortation from this, but for men in particular, men who I'm looking to say, and I'm speaking to myself here as well, that we need to step up, that we need to lay claim to the roles that God has created us for, that the first thing is we need to turn away from such people. We need to be comfortable turning away from the things of this world and the people that are in it. We should give them the gospel. We should give them Jesus Christ. We should share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Absolutely. We had a great time at our outreach recently. We've got another one coming up. We will continue to do that. But to have ongoing fellowship with them, to have one foot in the world and one foot out and say, it's okay, I'm just sort of, you know, this is how I evangelize. No, they're pulling you down with them. We have to be willing to turn away. 
And instead, what do we do? But in verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, Paul said, here's what everybody is doing. Here's how they're living their lives. It's all about self. Turn away from them and carefully follow me. Follow my doctrine. Here he's speaking to Timothy. And what Paul does here is he draws a dividing line between the world and those who are controlled by the Spirit. Those who are full of the Spirit in these last days. Like Stephen, so is Timothy. And, and would the same be said of you? Would the same be said of me? Will we be commended for the fact that we've carefully followed the doctrine that Paul gave us? Will we be commended for carefully following the Word of God? We can be. We absolutely can be. But we need to follow those who have set the example for us, chief of that being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the example of the godly men that we have within the Word of God and the Word of God itself. And that's where Paul then transitions to next as we read in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Timothy knew him from a young age. And there may be many of us here today that we can't say that from a very young age, the Word of God is being put into our hearts. But it can be now. This can be a regular routine. And you know what? Praise God that throughout this building, there are little children where the Word of God is being planted in their hearts. Because for some of you, you are those ones right now who are breaking the cycle that existed in your family for generations. You're saying to yourself, I'm going to do this differently. And the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. You see, here it gives us this, this reality that, yes, faith is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, but through the Word of God, we understand it. We can grow in it. We can know it. It says it makes us wise for salvation. What are you wise for today? Because the world is not going to tell you that you should be wise for salvation. They're going to want you to be wise for everything else. There's a multitude of things that we'll be told that we need to learn and develop and understand. Some of which is even today so different than what we had in school when I was there. The things that are being taught today, the things that we are told we need to know, we should be wise for salvation, which comes through the understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because in verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, here is the end of it all. Through the word of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, the man of God can be complete, full, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As Stephen could not be defeated or resisted in his knowledge of the word, so we can overcome through the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, that living and powerful Word of God. See, the Bible transforms us. The Word of God can transform us through a spiritual work, by a spiritual blessing which God works in us as we come to the Word and He speaks to us through it. There's a spiritual work that goes on. It's a power that's beyond our understanding. The Bible gives us eternal life, 
You see that in 1 Peter 1.23. It gives us spiritual cleansing, Ephesians 5.26. It gives us power against demonic spirits, Ephesians 6.17. It brings spiritual power to heal our bodies, Matthew 8.16. It brings us spiritual strength, Psalm 119.28. It has the power to spiritually build and grow faith within us, Romans 10.17. The Word of God is powerful. And as we consider Stephen, this average man who was raised up to do amazing and powerful things, that God used him in that way, that he was full of faith and power. It came through the indwelling of, the empowering of the Holy Spirit and his knowledge of the Word. And if there's anybody here today that says, well, that's not for me. I'm too far gone. My past is too messy. I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many things wrong. Whatever it is, that you're allowing the enemy to tell you it's wrong. It's wrong. We read Romans 12, 3, the, the two verses prior to that. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, to do what? But to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may test and approve what is that good and perfect will of God. You see, the, the Word of God has the power to change. It has the power to change lives, to change hearts, and to change minds. The men's study, what we're going through right now, is giving us an incredible understanding of what the experience in our lives, the sin in our lives, the, the different things that we've done, what it's done to potentially damage our mind, to impact our lives, but the reality that through the Word of God that can all be changed, it can all be transformed, that we can be renewed. And so to all of you today, the exhortation is the same. As we hear from Paul, one, turn away. Turn away from those who seek to live their lives in such a way. Follow those who are true. Follow the example that is before us. And thirdly, continue in God's word. Pursue it with your whole being. But I would say specifically to the men that are here today, to the fathers, in whatever way you fulfill that role, will you rise to the occasion? Will you assume the role that God has intended for you? The time is here, and God is willing. He's faithful in the promise to equip you for this work. There may be a past. There may be some missed opportunities. And sadly, there may not be the opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, for a reconciliation that you desire with an earthly father. But there's an opportunity to be reconciled to God the Father today through saving faith in Jesus Christ by following him and making a commitment to continue in the word of God. Amen? I'd ask everyone to just bow your heads and with your eyes closed. I want to give you two opportunities here this morning, one of which is foundational, and that's to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether for the first time or to commit yourself to Him, recommit yourself. If this is you today and you know that you've, you've wandered from the Father or you've never known Him and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness that comes from that, then make today that day. Say, Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you, and I ask forgiveness for all of my sins. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again. And Father, in light of that, I give you my life. And I pray, Lord, do that as you wish. That I want Jesus Christ to come into my life and into my heart. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And with your eyes still closed, your head still bowed. As you reflect on Father's Day, perhaps there's hurts in your life whether from what has happened to you in the past, what was taken from you, what, what you don't feel like maybe you offered 
as a father, whatever the case may be, if, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, I would just ask you to just cry out to him. Cry out to him and say, Father, I have failed in so many ways in the role that you've called me to. But you, Lord, have failed not. Lord, Father, we know that we can, we can come to you and we can trust and know that you are there for us. That your promises are true. That your grace and your mercy is always available to us. That no matter what my understanding of an earthly father may be, that I have the perfect father in you. And not only that, but he says that he cares for us so much that he desires that we just cast our cares before him. He wants to take that burden. And so if this is you today, then I just, I just encourage you to just lay those things, lay those hurts, lay that pain, lay it at his feet. And trust and know that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that's made way made possible that the relationship that we can now enjoy with our Father, that we can come right before Him. That that would be real to you here this morning and that you'd just cast those burdens and that perhaps for the first time that you'd be able to walk away from that here today, to let go of that, to not allow those things to hold you back any longer, to know that for those who are in Christ Jesus, that they're a new creation, that you can walk in newness of life, that you can move forward and, and, and you don't have to let the enemy keep you in this pit to allow these things to hold on to you. And so on this Father's Day, Lord, I, I pray that we would just truly surrender to God the Father, that in this last song that we would sing you praises, that we would cry out to you and enjoy that true relationship, that perfect relationship that we can have with you. Father, I pray for each of these here today. Lord, you know their hearts, you know their minds, you know right where they're at. You know the struggles in their lives, you know the burdens. And we praise you and thank you, Lord, that through the power of your spirit, Lord, you meet us right where we are. You minister to us. Though you are the creator God in heaven, you desire to meet us right where we are. And I pray that that would be the case here in the remaining minutes that we have together here this morning, that there would be a mighty move of your spirit upon us. And that as we sing and we bring you praises, Lord, that you'd move in the hearts, especially of those here who are burdened this morning with this relationship, Lord. Help them to let go of what they know of an earthly father and to look to you, our Father in heaven, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.